Today, we're lucky to have Dean Harrison on the show. Dean's the National Director of Marketing for Aburi Restaurants, a group of elevated Japanese concepts blazing a new trail for sushi lovers. In this episode, we talk about what a National Marketing Director actually does, why it's important to make irresistible offers to your audience, the role third-party delivery apps can play in how you get new guests through your doors, and we touch on an, a new emerging concept, the Grocerant. Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Dean, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, so thanks for coming on. I, I like to start these casts by asking a similar question, which is, how would you describe your particular area of expertise or your, your zone of genius? I don't know if I have a zone of genius, but mm -hmm. um, something that I really enjoy doing, and it's kind of, you know, um, been a, a, a strong you know channel throughout my career has been communication and public relations. Um, and that a little bit of business development comes with that as well. So I think, you know, I think the main ethos behind all three of those different pillars in business um, is the ability to connect with people and bring people together and understand different needs um, and come up with a strategic initiative or collaboration to bring two parties together or three parties together to, to better the business. So I would say that that's probably one of my favorite things. I think the pandemic, you know, has been really hard in terms of that. It's challenged us to collaborate with people in ways that we didn't previously need to maybe, especially for restaurants, you know, a lot of digital has been required. A lot of content has been required, um, you know, but, Again, you know, you can't go in for a coffee meeting or, you know, meet someone to talk about business developments or, you know, talk to the chef concierge at a hotel about a new restaurant that you're working on. So that part has been a little bit hard, but I think, you know, communications, public relations, connecting with people for the betterment of our businesses is my favorite thing. Awesome. And, and what's, what's one thing about that, uh, anywhere in that, um, that sphere um, that you mentioned, uh, that you wish you had learned years ago? Um, everything. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, a lot of things. I think that the biggest challenge um, as we kind of move out of lockdown in Ontario and back to some degree of normalcy has just been an inc the incredible amount of work that it takes to open and close restaurants, especially when, you know, the ingredients are seasonal, when the menus need to be adjusted, there is different pricing structures for in-house versus takeout versus different channels. Um, I think the hardest thing has been to delegate. Um, and that's one thing that I wish I would have learned years ago um, and not just delegate by asking people to do things, but delegate in a way that is clear uh, with, you know, easily and um, I guess manageable expectations. You know, I, I want to hold the agencies or, you know, our internal team members the same standards that I would hold myself to. And I think understanding that, you know, there's such a correlation between delegation, but also making sure that, 
you know, whoever you're asking or paying to do something correctly is actually doing it the way that you want it to be done. And that's always, I think, a hard part as you grow, you know, into more of a, uh, an executive or, or, you know, a professional in life is just being a little bit more harsh um, in terms of your communication, in terms of your standards. So I, I love that because I, I find I find lessons like that usually came from a very unpleasant experience. Um, I'm wondering if you could take us to the first unpleasant experience that comes to mind. You know, I think that, you know, even from a public relations perspective, I've been at agency before. So I know who the right media are that we need to get into the restaurants, who we need to connect with, you know, what the pitch should look like, what the pitch calendar should be, or what my editorial expectations, impression, or reach numbers would be. So I think I'm, you know, can be a bit of a nightmare sometimes for a PR agency because I know the ins and the outs. Um, so I do hold them, you know, to a high standard. Um, we have two really great um, agents that we work with in Vancouver as well as Toronto. And they do an incredible job. So I think that, you know, it was just about kind of understanding, you know, what we're looking for, as well as what what we can actually accomplish too. you know, for instance, uh, we had to open a restaurant in the middle of the pandemic, Minami Toronto on King West. Um, and it has been incredibly difficult to launch a restaurant that is a bricks and mortar space that is beautiful. We've actually been nominated for quite a few global design um, awards, um, but it's a takeout restaurant now all of a sudden. So it's hard to get those messages across, taking that experiential to a pickup and then opening. We opened in the spring around Easter for four days and then we got closed again. And then we're opened up for dining. And now we've just opened up for, for indoor dining shortly as well. And um, you know, that that message is so hard to open a restaurant, but also, you know, how do you how do you get your message across about the experience when you were starting to strategize and starting to put together the idea of what this restaurant would be? So for instance, Manami. Our goal for Manami was to have a 40% average guest check. 40% of that would be in alcohol beverage. That's we're never going to hit that um, for takeout. That's for sure. So, changing, pivoting, which is the word of the last two years, has been instrumental, and in, and just holding people to the same standards that you would hold yourself to. Um, you know, I think being less nice and more direct is actually probably the nicer approach. In the end, oh, totally. And so, um, I think it's it's very obvious that you have a you know a deep deep experience in, in both marketing and PR specifically, specifically for restaurants. Uh, for, but for anybody who, who may not know you, would you, uh, would you mind giving us the Coles notes version of your uh, background and, and, you know, what drew you to this industry in the first place and, you know, how you've arrived where you are today? Sounds good. Um, so I graduated. Um, and um, my first job was actually to, to pick between two. I was lucky enough to get two offers. And one was marketing for a produce company and one was marketing for a wine company. So being 22 years old, I naturally went to the wine company. Um, and it was actually one of the biggest, it was the biggest only wine companies, uh, wine company in the world. Uh, it's called Treasury Wine Estates, which produced um, Penfolds, Lindemans, Behringer, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I got a lot of really quick um, learnings from stepping into that role. Uh, very, 
minor marketing role when I first started, um, more admin type stuff, learning kind of the lay of the land, how the, you know how the business worked and how we operated within kind of the Canadian liquor board system. And so I worked in uh, brand marketing there. I worked in trade marketing with the different liquor boards. Um, and then I always ended up going back to public relations within the same company. So I was there for about seven years. Um, Sorry, real quick, why, why, why did you always go back to public relations? I think it was because of my passion at the end of the day. I think you kind of flip-flop and I think any PR person would tell you that it can get so frustrating sometimes that you just want to wash your hands of it. Um, you know, with public relations, you know, and I think every PR practitioner, you know, can relate to this. It's harder than ever in the Canadian media landscape. There are less publications to pitch to. Um, and it's more competitive. There's more you can do sometimes with digital marketing dollars than what you could do with like an authentic third party review. Um, and so people are looking at public relations in, in different ways. And um, for me, it was always tricky to stay there because you can be the smartest person with the smartest strategy and the smartest idea to pitch your clients or to pitch one of your brands. But if it doesn't align with an editorial calendar, if it, you know, is, you know, um, let's say competitive with someone that's advertising with them or if the journalist is just having a bad day, all of your hard work is down the drain. And so you're not always in control of your own success or your own destiny, which makes it hard to stay there for a long period of time. So I was kind of switched in and out of it. Um, and I was lucky enough to get opportunities within that company to, to move around and to, you know, um, see what was enjoyable for me. Um, and so I did leave that company after around seven years and I went to agency. So I was always in-house. I had never worked at agency before. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, it's you know a very competitive industry in Toronto, especially in public relations. Um, and I went to a food-focused um, agency that did social media as well as public relations and some marketing activations as well. Um, and I worked on some really great clients. Um, for instance, we worked with Beretta Farms, which is an incredible Canadian uh, protein provider. We worked with uh, bringing the Cheesecake Factory to Canada. We worked with Drake on his restaurant in Toronto. Um, and it was really fun to work in a fast-paced environment with a lot of different clients, different expectations, different you know, KPIs for each project. Um, and then I moved over to um, another company where I was head of partnerships and communications. Um, and I worked on fitness brands as well as wine. Um, and then I went to another agency. Um, and my job there was really exciting and interesting. I got to work on the marketing and the communications for opening restaurants. So my job was just to open restaurants and come up with a marketing plan for them you know, also what their content was going to be, their social media strategy, their public relations, their press release. So I have a, I have a quick question. Uh, what, I think that's a really, um, that's a hot topic for, I mean, a lot of anyone who's opening a restaurant, right? Like, what would you say is the, what are the, what are the top one or two things that a restaurant who's opening up needs to uh, keep in mind when it comes to how they market themselves, how they launch, how they put themselves out there? 
I think there are so many. Um, I think, you know, 2020 and 2021 has taught us anything in the industry is that content is key. Um, so you definitely want to make sure that you have uh, an image bank, a video bank, items or assets rather that you can use, you know, interchangeably for a TikTok account, an Instagram account, your Twitter, your Facebook page, um, you know, or your Instagram, whatnot. Um, and then you'll also need those same assets to go on your website. You know, your website, especially if you're smaller and starting out, doesn't need to be, you know, fancy, but it does need to represent your brand and your ethos appropriately. So I think investing in the right assets is key and it will continue to be key. And I have another curiosity around that, which is, you know, assets, photography, videos and stuff, they range wildly in, in press, right? And, um, and I... I have a hunch that a lot of folks don't really know like what they should be paying or what it's worth to them. Do you have any um, any thoughts around around that? You know, I think um, we're successful as a restaurant group um, at a brewery, Restaurants Canada, where I currently am, is because we've always done the majority of our photography in-house. Mm -hmm. So when I work with our team, I like to make sure that we have really strong internal stakeholders who can take the photography ourselves. So we have a content coordinator in Vancouver and we also have a digital marketing manager in Toronto, which takes our content in-house. Um, and then when we do have bigger projects or we're a little bit overwhelmed in terms of workload, we do bring in other photographers as well and assign a budget. Um, and depending on the project, you know, we can pay up to $12,000 for a photo shoot. Um, or, you know, you can barter. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to get return on return on your investments. Um, and so I think, you know, restaurateurs don't just need to be given a rate card by a photographer, but they can barter, they can look around, they can offer, you know, gift cards or whatnot, you know, to aspiring photography students or, you know, students at different you know, universities studying creative. Uh, there are a whole bunch of different uh, um different ways that you can really manage that cost and you know I think the one thing is like small mom and pops don't need to be spending thousands of dollars for photo shoots there are incredible resources as well with um companies like uber eats where they'll send a photographer to you to shoot your photos for free to go on the apps as well so I think that there are different ways to be creative and especially you know as we you know get better and better uh, cameras on our phones too. A lot of that content, like Instagram stories, things like that, TikTok, especially as it grows for restaurants, can just be shot on a phone as well. As long as you know you have some brand guidelines um, and you're doing, you know, a reasonably good job, you know, the message is going to get across. And food is so you know multi-sensory. Um, you know, getting video, getting photography is critical. I think towards marketing your restaurant, especially right now, and especially to bring people back. Um, you know, and I do think like, for instance, we've been shooting a lot about safety for indoor dining in Toronto now that it's opening. Um, and we've also been shooting inside our restaurants to show people the experience again, to bring them back. So yes, it is safe. Of course, we follow all of the COVID procedures, but you're not just coming to have the same 
item that you would from Uber Eats. You're coming for an experience, you're coming to be served, you're coming to learn. Um, you know, for instance, at a Brihana in Yorkville, you know, we can, you know, guide you through a huge wine list that we have as well. And you can, you know, come home from that experience and now have social currency to take away at your next dinner party or hang out with your friends. So I think that, you know, all of those assets are critical, but you can definitely manage the price um, and or the cost within your budget, whatever that is. Totally. I, I also think that um, that a lot of folks overthink it too, you know, and and I, I know you're an analytical marketer and we'll get into that, but I, I've 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 looked at the data on fancy photos that um, you know. I've, I've invested a lot of money in, and I've, I've looked at the data in photos that are just taken on the phone and far and away, uh, the, the, the photos that are taken on a phone tend to outperform the fancier photos. Has that, has that been your experience as well? Um, not necessarily. We, we look at uh, different content pillars. So for our social media, we try to usually build it into a cycle. So, you know, maybe on a specific day, we always are posting about food offerings for takeout. The next day, it might be takeout uh, for, sorry, indoor dining, and then maybe a safety pillar, and then an educational pillar. So I've noticed different changes with those content pillars. Um, but usually the photography with food always surpasses any other photography that we have in terms of reach, likes, shares, all the engagement analytics. So we try to focus on that as much as possible. Got it. Got it. And, and so you are the national director of marketing for a brewery restaurants. And I am, I'm really curious, like what, what your day to day looks like. What, yeah. What, what do you do? Well, that's a hard one. Um, it looks different every single day, um, but I can kind of go through kind of the, the top, you know, core uh, things that I would do, let's say maybe in a week, but, you know, we look, I review the sales analytics between each of our different channels for each of our different properties every morning um, to understand the micro or the macro effects or the marketing initiatives that we may have done to cause these changes. Um, so for instance, I would look at Miku Toronto and see you know, how much revenue is coming in from indoor dining, what the covers are, and how much revenue is coming out from traditional takeout, meaning orders directly through us versus an Uber Eats or a third party delivery system versus a top order to see what those percentages, percentages are and then try to predict trends and, and forecast and then change marketing you know, budgets and, and strategies based on those things. Um, the reason why I still do it and the reason why I started that is at the very beginning of the pandemic, every single dollar counted. And let's say for instance, we dipped on Uber Eats overnight or from one day to the next, I needed to change that immediately. And because Uber Eats is so reactive, I could have done it. I could have done a free delivery program or buy one, get one free to get those numbers back up. Um, you know, and I still look at those numbers every single day to make sure that we are tracking, all, you know, we're effectively tracking where our revenue is coming from and what our return on effort and investment is. Um, so, mm -hmm. so I just, another curiosity hit me, which is um, Aburi restaurants from like a lot of your concepts, they're very elevated Japanese cuisine. Would, would you say that's an accurate description? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so you just mentioned uh, that you would do like a, a free delivery or a buy one, get one free. And um, those are, in my experience, very effective offers. However, I have also noticed that a lot of restaurateurs have an allergy 
to to giving things away or to free stuff or um, you know that sort of thing. And so I'm curious what what you would say to a restaurateur who has that that allergy or that hesitation to that sort of thing. I don't think that you're going to to be able to understand the differences on your business until you do, but you do have to invest in those programs. Um, you know, we've been lucky enough that some of our, our partners, our delivery partners actually have given us budget in the past to try out some of these programs and it's really worked. For instance, we ran a buy one, get one free program across um, every one of our properties, except for one in Canada a couple of weeks ago. And over two weeks, um, the return on investment was 1,440%. Um, so we made, you know, we invested a little bit of money, but we sure made it back many, 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 many times over with our, our net, um, our net gain. Um, you know, and that was just one buy one, get one program. Um, so they've been always very effective to for us. And, you know, any restaurateur that's hesitant about it, try it for a couple of days and you'll immediately see your sales, you know, amplify. And especially with offers like that, the apps will put you higher on the searches and, you know, on the landing page of the apps as well. So it really does help. It helps getting new guests into your, you know, into your space and trying your offerings. And it also brings back existing guests. And we've had so many guests and just in the last two weeks at Miku Toronto, they had never eaten with us before the pandemic, but they eat with us now because they tried us on Uber Eats and they liked us and now they're coming back. So it's been a really good tool too bringing those guests in from marketing initiatives or you know incentives and now they've become you know on-premise guests as well so 100 percent. i mean you know so many people were up in arms with the margins that you know uh these delivery platforms charged and while we, we can we can argue all day about the margins the the fact of the matter is is they've they have spent a gazillion dollars marketing and building these apps and so what they are is they're they're like guest acquisition channels. And so if you have a mechanism in place to, once those people come through your doors to capture their information, you only in theory need to use those channels one time. And then you have a guest that you can then, you know, that'll come back again and again and again. So it's really this, and I feel like this is the battle, a battle in the industry when it comes to marketing in general is a lot of folks are looking at a visit just very transactionally. It's like, oh, we're just, Oh, like, am I going to, am I going to break even? I'm going to do a buy one, get one offer. Am I going to like make any money on that? Like I spend money on ads or, or like Uber Eats is taking away my margins. I'm going to get, get any money on it. And it's just a very short sighted um, way of looking at it. And so I, I just, I just love that you, um, that even, even at like a very, like it, these Aburi restaurants, they seem very ritzy, you know, um, they, they're beautiful. And, you know, um, if, if a buy one, get one offer is good enough for, you know, a spot in one of your concepts, then I feel like a lot, a lot more people should be paying attention. Um, they don't have to be huge items either. We've had tremendous success where we do some testing. So for instance, we would do a miso soup, which, you know, more, uh, cost of goods sold is pretty low for that, or even edamame as an offer or as an incentive to get them to order more, almost like a loss leader if you think of it in a retail environment. Um, and it's worked really successfully. And then we've had items that are of much higher value where we've done BOGO, um, buy one, get one free. And when you do the comparison, you can look at um, the higher price item 
at our restaurant group, usually brings in more new guests. A lower price item under BOGO usually brings back existing guests. So when we start to think of our strategies, especially if we know that we need to get more people into one venue or another, and we want to start, you know, targeting more people, then maybe we'll do a higher value item. But if, you know, our restaurants, let's say in Toronto is, is pretty full and, you know, we don't need a lot of conversions to on-premise dining at that point with staffing and other factors, then we would do something like an edamame or miso soup because it just makes more sense for us. So I think that we've learned a lot as well during different testing in the last year and a half and building case studies to see the effectiveness of one program versus another, for sure. Restaurant owners, operators, and managers, before we continue with the episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you know if your marketing is working? Most restaurant owners are relying solely on organic social media and word of mouth marketing. While these are both powerful, they ultimately leave the growth of your restaurant to chance. You can't control algorithms and you certainly can't control what people do. But you can use a system that will have a huge impact over time. I'd love to show you the guest magnet method. It's a simple but cohesive system that will accelerate the growth of your restaurant in a way that you can measure. It is backed by ROI, a return on your investment. If you want to learn about the most powerful way to grow your restaurant sales this year, send an email to kyle at guestgetter.co with magnet in the subject line, and I'll get you all the details. All right, back to the show. I saw on LinkedIn that you you recently mentioned um, you, you were recently mentioned in Nation's Restaurant News, and you were reflecting on how you uh, you remembered years ago pitching them for your clients of your PR uh, agency. And um, I, I would actually love to to go to go back there and and what you learned from that because I think that um, I think that pitching and and actively outreaching uh, is is something that can be extremely powerful for restaurants as well. You know, I think there's generally uh, a mindset of, well, we're going to build this thing and then, and then people will come, you know, we'll, we'll do like some marketing here and there. But um, I think that if, if restaurateurs did more outreach, there could be a, a pretty big impact. So, so would you, would you mind going back there and, and, sh- and sharing a bit about what you learned? Yeah. For a while and learned a lot. Um, however, you know, I think that's, I'm lucky enough to work with a a larger group where we have always on PR um, that I oversee. Um, But, you know, for smaller restaurants, sometimes that doesn't make sense for them. So having, you know, even a three-month contract with a freelancer could be much more effective where you're kind of outlining what your goals are, where you want it lands, which publications are important for you. So when I was pitching back in the day to Nation's Restaurant News, um, if people don't know, it's, I think, the largest trade publication in America for the restaurant industry. Um, you know, I always would see these huge stories. So, you know, private equity equity funds buying these huge restaurant groups for $300 million or whatnot. And so they don't really focus on the Canadian market as much. Um, so anything that we did or anything that I had to pitch had to be pretty big and it had to you know, showcase that we were making waves in the North American space to make it relevant to that audience. So I think when you're pitching, you always have to understand what the, um, I guess what the, what the goals of the publication are, who their audience is, and how whatever you're pitching will actually add value to their editorial or to the website or to whatever it means. Um, 
to that to that specific outlet. I think that's really important. And you know, that's the part that I see a lot of PR practitioners making you know mistakes with with journalists. You know, pitching a business story for you know, let's say I don't know the Daily Hive in Vancouver or Dished. It's just probably not the right beat, right? So you just want to understand. If you are a restaurateur, okay, well, let's see what this publication writes about, what's interesting to their audience, and then let's write about it. Or let's create a marketing incentive um, that will make it interesting. Um, so like, for instance, you have to be very creative. I remember I was working with, with a company and they hadn't released a new product in about two years um, and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, we had to come up with a recipe. Um, it, was, it was National Cheesecake Day. There was nothing new and it was it was a protein-based company. So we I came up with a recipe with the owners and it was a bacon, a caramel bacon cheesecake. So we got our recipes and publications that we probably wouldn't have gotten in normally, like uh, Baker's Journal and this, you know, this and that because it was, it was a meat company. Uh, but we transformed it, created something newsworthy, something that would be fun. And we ended up, I think, getting 12 million impressions from that recipe in Canada alone. So it was really big. So thinking outside the box um, and also looking at national holidays. I think that's a really great tool for small restaurants. So um, the other day was National Ice Cream Day. So maybe you come up with a fun little ice cream giveaway uh, to bring people into your restaurant or, you know, an ice cream based competition on, on Instagram or whatnot. Um, and then a really easy trick too for, for smaller restaurants is to start tagging publications on your social media accounts that matter. So don't tag them on everything, but if you have like a brand new menu that's launching, if you just hired a new chef, if you have something really newsworthy to talk about on that Instagram post, you know, tag BlogTO, tag Narcity, tag whoever you think will be interested. And that's how some actual meaningful public relations hits have happened as well. That's a great tip. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, I think a takeaway for me as well is, is, uh, is just never underestimate the power of new, you know, pe people love new stuff. So and anytime you're doing any kind of launch, um, that, that could be an opportunity. Um, so I, I have a hunch, uh, you're, you're a very analytical marketer and I'm wondering which marketing metrics you consider to be most important? There's a lot, um, and I've learned a lot, especially as we've been so digital with our business. One thing, just going back to what we were talking about previously, PR. Yes, it does help for sure, but you have to be very smart about it as well with your expectations. So one tool that I use for analytics is you know Google Analytics as well as Google My Business, et cetera. And one thing that is so important to me is the channel acquisition, the audience acquisition by channel, rather. Mm -hmm. So looking how people have discovered your website, is it organic, is it direct? Um, and understanding how long they've spent on pages, what are they interested in, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but with public relations, you can see too, you know, sometimes it's just not worth the investment. So maybe you would host a journalist or, you know, you would pay for an ad on a digital publication, and then you try to track the performance on your own analytics. And you can see that that ad or that advertorial really only brought in like a hundred you know, page views to your site. So was it worth it? And so I'm constantly trying to analyze that and the return on investment, um, you know, from a very obvious, you know, 
transactional perspective, but then also from a brand amplification perspective that's not necessarily trackable as much. But Google Analytics, Google, Google My Business are really key. Making sure that you have a really good Google listing is really critical as well. Make sure that it's kept up to date is really critical. One tip is that for restaurateurs, Google will change your listing hours without letting you know based on different algorithms from Facebook and whatnot. So you really have to manage your Google hours on that listing. Um, I have a reminder for my team every morning to make sure that they're up to date. Um, but that's a huge one and it's free. It comes with your websites. So you absolutely have to do it to understand your business better. Um, the next really important one for us now that indoor dining has opened is open table. So we have kind of used a bunch of different um, reservation systems over the years and always come back to open table. Um, we're on there now and they really have, have raised the bar in the analytics that they can provide back to us um, above, above, you know, beyond most of our or their competitors. So we can see you know, how many people are dining in our restaurants. Are they from out of town? Are they international? You know, um, all of these really interesting things. But OpenTable also has new features in almost like, you know, on, in not in app marketing, but tools like that, where we can do boosted and um, bonus points as well. So we started doing that when um, the campaign first launched, looking at the heat maps and creating incentives uh, through bonus points at time slots that were a little bit cold. Um, so maybe like Tuesday at 4 p.m. So then we do bonus points there or whatnot. And it's been really successful in getting those covers through the doors, but you have to understand open table, what they're capable of doing, and you have to continually track the return on investment and the return on effort too. Awesome, awesome. Do you think there's a risk of being too analytical? Um, I don't think so right now. I mean, there, you know, we've gone through the worst, hopefully the worst of it. And the reason why we survived is because we were analytical. We were smart with our cost of goods sold versus, you know, our uh, our offerings um, and looking at every dollar spent because we had to. You know, we could not afford not to be analytical. We couldn't afford not to make it work. You know, we had 700 employees at the beginning of the pandemic, and we we strive to keep um, as much as we could um, that would make sense for the business. So, you know, I think that being analytical. You know, it can be, you know, a little maybe too corporate, but to save jobs and, and to keep people employed, we had to do everything that it took. I do think that it's different, though, when you're constructing an experience. I think there are areas to be analytical about and service standards, but there is definitely more flexibility to be as creative as possible. And, and I think our chefs are incredibly talented at that um, and understanding, you know, the creativity behind different dishes and, and how experiences and tastings work together. I don't think that there's much room for my analytics in there. That's for sure. <laughs> totally. So let, let, let's say I'm a small, you know, a small mom and pop restaurant and uh, I'm hitting you up, Dean Harrison, uh, mm -hmm. to help me market my business and bring in more guests. What, what, are, what are the first steps? What do, what do we do? Oh, I think there's a lot to talk about, but I think that we need to understand um, where people are going to connect with you and how they're going to learn about you. Um, so we need to get you a website. Again, you know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but it needs to be built correctly. Um, and it can be built, you know, 
we're not that much money. We need to make sure all of your listings are on, you know, Yelp, Travel Advisor, Google, etc. We need to set up your social accounts um, as well as all the analytical tools to track that. Um, if you're launching a new restaurant, then we need to come up with your PR strategy. When is your press release going to come out? Are you going to have camera calls? Are you going to have a ribbon cutting ceremony? Do you want to bring in media? Is there a budget for that? How do you want that experience to go? Which publications would you like to be in, you know, based on the offerings that you are you know, giving to your consumers? Um, and then I think that we need to come up with more of a long-term marketing plan as well. So think about workbacks. So are you going to have a holiday menu? What are you going to do for New Year's Eve? What are you going to do for Easter? What are you going to do for Sakura season, for instance? And try to map that out to the best of your ability. So you're not just reacting. You actually have a plan throughout the year, regardless of what your size is. And then, you know, we have to think about too, are we going to be on Uber Eats? What makes more sense? Is it DoorDash? Is it Skip the Dishes? Where do those numbers fall? Like where also would it make more sense for you to have a fleet or with insurance and whatnot? And then if you are, you know, let's say for instance, doing the delivery your own, your own, you're on your own, then that's another speaking point that we can add on all of your touch points and talk about that you, you know, are you know, a proprietor delivering these items yourself. You're not kind of, you know, working with a large global company and we could create some goodwill there as well. Um, you know, and then I think, you know, like I mentioned content, content is king or queen for, for the year as well. So we need to make sure that you have a content calendar for all of your platforms. Does it make sense for you to have a YouTube channel? Should you get into TikTok? Is that what your audience or your potential diner is looking for? And then you have to think about, you know, real, real quick, quick question. Yeah. What, what do you use uh, for your content calendar? It can be anything. I've used Excel files before where you build in an Excel. We have used um, Sprout Social before for social media. Currently, we use Agora Pulse, which I really like. Um, so it can be anything, you know, and if you are tight on budget, just create something, you know, on Excel with a calendar reminder and post it manu manually on your phone or get your GM to. It doesn't have to be, you know, as large scale or as intricate as that too. So anything really works. I've seen it all, even in big agencies for um, approvals. We used to use uh, Excel working documents too and inserting the photo in the caption. So, you know, there's no really right or wrong with that for sure. So I think there are a lot of tools and a lot of considerations to think about. Um, and I think a lot of restaurants um, sometimes get it wrong. They want lineups out the door for the first day. And so we try not, I try not to advise that because unless you're a huge company that have opened, you know, 50 restaurants that are exactly the same before, there's going to be some, some growing pains for sure. Totally. And you don't want your media to have to experience that if you're bringing them in or have all of these new guests line up and not be able to get a table or this or that. So you have to manage buzz and amplification and generating that at a pace that works with your ability in terms of operations in your kitchen and your front of house versus back of house. You know, you will have to be respectful to them and what their capacities are and making sure that everyone has a great experience. So maybe what we do is a very quiet, soft launch and then maybe two weeks after that's when the press release goes out. So maybe for those two weeks, we do dry runs, we bring in media, um, we get some feedback, bring in media that we trust, that you know is gonna be compassionate to, to the new restaurants and to the offerings and the service. Um, but I think that a lot of restaurants go about it too quickly. 
Um, I get why, especially they want to earn as much money as fast as possible, especially in this atmosphere. But I think a soft launch is really important, but that does make marketing and the role of marketing tricky. For sure. That, that makes, that makes good sense. And, um, finally, just, just a couple more questions here. Um, I want to be uh, mindful of your time. What's, um, what, what did, what is the one thing you think most restaurants could do today? to have maximum impact on the revenue over the course of the next year? Hmm. You know, I think, you know, that's the one thing that they could do. Hmm. Um, I would think understanding, you know, forgetting the past. I think that's the biggest one. Forgetting the past, understanding that we've all had trauma in the industry. You know, there have been so many, you know, mental health issues as well in our industry for people who are, you know, so stressed out or full of anxiety and whatnot. And I think now it's a really important time to start fresh, to forget about the past, keep what you've learned for sure throughout the last year and use it to your advantage to make more money, to bring back more staff, to treat your staff better, to make sure that your guests have a better experience. Um, and, you know, just continue to operate, but also, you know, grow as much as possible. I think, for instance, for us, the one thing is kind of the digitalization of our business. Prior to the pandemic, you had to come to the restaurant to experience Miku or Tora or whatnot. We never had takeout. So we had to act really fast to get ourselves on takeout. Uh, but we're there. We're there for good. What I've noticed, too, is when I analyze the numbers, Let's say, well, usually um, when we're in a state of lockdown, you know, most of the, let's say 40% of the revenue is coming from Uber Eats, 20% is coming from traditional, blah, 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 blah. Um, you think those numbers don't really dip when we open for dine-in, it just changes. So maybe takeout was 100% of our business. When we open for dine-in, then the actual dollar amount usually stays around the same, but then it becomes 30% of our business in terms of total revenue and experiential becomes 70. But I think keeping that in mind over the next year that we can win back some lost funds, some lost revenue rather, through continually being creative with our takeout offerings and keep pushing that, I think will be critical. I think continuing to manage that channel of business, if it is something that you know your restaurant has, is gonna be really important in the coming year. Because you know, I'm sure you're like me, but on a Friday night, maybe you don't want to, as I get older, I don't want to go out for dinner. I'm tired, but I still want to eat something nice and well put together and chef curated. I will still continue to order, you know, fine dining from takeout. That's not something that's going to change. My behavior has changed as a consumer um, because of the pandemic. And I think that it would be a shame for restaurants to lose what they've learned with takeouts over the upcoming year. Totally. That's a, that's a great answer. I, I especially like the, uh, the idea of forgetting the past and, and the trauma and, and, and yeah, starting, starting afresh. I think that's really, really smart. Um, so uh, before we finish with a, a round of rapid fire cues, um, is there anything that I should have asked you, but I didn't? Um, oh, we didn't finish what my day to day looked like. We just got to reviewing the sales. So maybe I'll finish that up if that's yeah. okay. Yeah, hit it. Uh, yeah, okay. So I work with my team, you know, on strategic content for social and strategies that work within each brand's brand voice and their ethos. We look at all of our CRM tools, looking at review reports, reading. What CRM do you use? Sorry, I can't. I'm a, I'm a tool nerd. What, what CRM do you use? 
we use a lot of different CRM tools, but one of the biggest ones for newsletters that we did, um, we used to use um, Fishbowl. So back in the day, Fishbowl was the only CRM tool for newsletters that you could use. To, with uh, yeah, with OpenTable, exactly. However, that changed, uh, I think, about a year and a bit ago, and now we can integrate it into MailChimp. Um, and I've always liked using MailChimp to connect with guests or to connect with media. It's even you send press releases out through it. Um, so we use um, we use it quite a bit. Um, uh, we use different survey tools. We use Google Forms, etc., just to try to learn more about our guests, try to learn more about maybe what we're missing or how we can make it better. Um, we also use um, Venga, which is a CRM tool provided by OpenTable. Um, so with that, we, you know, our ambition is to bring guests back to the restaurants as fast or as quickly as possible. So we do offer, you know, a free dessert if you come back within 14 days of your original reservation, things like that, and analyze the analytics on a weekly basis. Um, yeah, I also plan do planning sessions for new projects. Um, so for instance, we're launching a few new grocery stores in Vancouver, which is something that's totally new to me. I used to do the PR for some grocery stores, but to launch it with different SKUs, as well as, you know, a customs, um, uh, customs brokerage plan from all of our items being brought in from Japan, relabeling, et cetera, et cetera, has become a big project. Um, but we are trying to diversify into the grocery market as well. We did launch um, a, a grocery uh, It's called A Burry To Go at Manami in Vancouver in Yale Town. So understanding, working with the BIA to understand who um, who shops in, in Yale Town, who lives there, where do they work, et cetera, and coming up with a digital as well as, you know, traditional marketing plan to hit those people. Um, you know, we do workbacks for new menus, new special occasions, managing PR relationships and media relationships and our PR agents, uh, charitable requests, you know, we're starting a new gift card system, which is kind of a beast of a project, to be honest, more than I thought it was going to be. So that's been a couple months in developments and then, you know, collaboration, business developments, etc. So lots, lots of new things in a day. And we, you know, and we work with um, a very ambitious um, owner. His name is Sego. Um, and, you know, he's remarkably talented in, in the restaurant space and in the grocery space and extremely innovative. He brought um, flame seared sushi or furry sushi to Canada in 2018. So we were the first company to do that. Now you'll find it in, in different markets, uh, et cetera. Uh, but he's very innovative. And one of his um, goals for the company is to make sure that we have price offerings um, for, di for different consumers in every market that we have. So for instance, in Toronto, we have a Buritora, which is at Yorkdale Mall. It has a sushi laneway that you would order through an aisle. A, a tablet, a digital tablet, which we're opening in the 28th. Um, and that you probably leave average guest check $25. And then we have Manami and King West, um, which average guest check, you know, probably is around, I don't know, we're, st we're still learning as we've just opened it, but the goal is around $75 for dinner, Miku a little bit higher, and then with Hana, it can go up to $600. So we try to make sure with every market that we do go into that um, we have an offering for everybody. Um, and Aburitora is one of my favorite places to eat for sure. We have the largest Oshi selection, which is the, the square plus flame sear sushi. Um, and I, I love going there. So I think innovation has been really important as well. That's awesome. Sounds like, yeah, you uh, you have a lot of irons in the fire 
wear mm-hmm. many hats. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, so are you ready for a quick rapid fire round? I don't think so, but let's do it. <laughs> okay. it's, not, it's, not, it's not as scary as it sounds. Okay. Um, right. what, what's, what's your favorite cocktail? Extra Dirty Gin Martini, Hendrix. Hendrix. Yeah. Interesting. Love it. Uh, what, what book or resource has had the biggest impact on you? I believe the book is called An E-Myth Revis- Revisited, I think, and I read it in university. And there's a really cool kind of saying in there that you can't work on your business and in your business as an entrepreneur at the same time. And I really love that. That always resonated with me and stuck with me. Yeah, I love that. That's Michael Gerber. Great book. Right. Um, what, um, what, what is one thing you've changed your mind about in the last year? Um, everything. <laughs> I think the last year has been really transformative in many, in many ways. I think professionally, I maybe have changed my mind that we can't offer the same brand values for takeout and dine-in at the same time, because, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm wrong in that. Uh, consumers are still coming and the expectations are different uh, from, from both. I think, you know, I think everyone living in Toronto over the last year and a half has been really affected with extended lockdown, longest lockdown in the world. Um, I hadn't been able to get a haircut since October of 2020. So I think we've, a lot of people have changed their minds on the value, I guess, from a personal perspective, paying so much money to live in a city where you can't do anything. Um, but hopefully that's that's changing. But I think I had many visions of running away to a farm or the countryside um, with the pandemic. But I think my mind is changing as the city starts to, to wake up again, which is nice. Awesome. And let's say the government gives you $50,000 to grow your business. How do you spend that money? Um, I think we need to focus on digital. I think that that's really powerful because there's a direct return on investment that you can analyze the click through rates, uh, you, the benchmarking that you can do, the open rates with, with newsletters, et cetera. I think it's really, really important. So, you know, if I had an extra $50,000 in my budget, um, I would definitely invest it in, in digital marketing for sure because, you know, I do know a lot of times too, you have to, pr- well, in our company, at least, it's really important to prove the return on investment for every decision that we've made, especially in the last year and a half with money being the way that it is. So I, that is a great tool to kind of analyze every single dollar spent and, and just get better and re-strategize as you go forward. Totally. And um, last question here, what are you most excited about in the next little while and where should people go to connect with you? If you want them to. Uh, yeah, of course. I'm most excited about a new project that we're working on in West, West Vancouver. So it's going to be a standalone grocery store. And we are working with really interesting vendors in Japan to bring products into the Canada that no one has ever done before. Um, and we're looking at um, creating in-store marketing tools as well. So to bring things into Canada, you have to relabel everything, et cetera, et cetera. But it's so hard to understand what this product does and how it can fit into your life. So in the store, we will have QR codes that will go to these videos that we're making to show you how you can use every single product in your life um, or incorporate into your kitchen at home, uh, which is really exciting for us too. So I think bringing in new products and, and having you know a brand new grocery project is really exciting. 
Um, and then how people can connect with me on, um, well, LinkedIn for sure, uh, Dean Harrison on LinkedIn and on Instagram, I'm Dean David H, that's my middle name. Um, and I post a lot about work and, and fun things too. But yeah, those are the two primary ways or email if anyone wants to. Um, it's just Dean at AburyRestaurants.com. Awesome, Dean. Well, it's it's been a pleasure and I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Guest Getter. I'm your host, Kyle Gilfoyle. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. As always, you can head over to guestgetter.co to check out the resources in this episode's show notes and sign up for our weekly newsletter. That is it for today. We'll see you next time.